Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Are you ready to speak this morning? I always find that a hard question to answer. My wife asked me that last night. She said, when we get home, do you know, do you have a lot of studying to do? And I tried to explain it like this. Do you remember when you were in high school and you had to give a speech? Anybody have to do that? Give a speech? You might have like all of your cue cards like totally ready. You might know the topic inside and out. You may have rehearsed it a thousand times, but those hours before you get up and actually deliver your speech, like it's kind of all-consuming, all you can think about. All you can think is like that exhale when you get it done, you know? So that's, that's kind of the feeling. That's a step into where my mind is typically at. We have power today. Isn't that good? That was kind of fun last week, you know, doing the two phone thing and uh, doing it at Josh Carter's. Thank you, Josh, for hosting again. But if anybody's participating on Facebook today, you know, you don't have to see a little sliver of a fireplace and hear two voices talking but not see the faces. That was my bad. I am not a tech person. And I am so thankful for our tech team back there. Lori's on camera today, not me. So you will be able to see what's going on. I'm thankful for that. Uh, It's times like those that really remind you how important a team is, a church family is. You know, it's one thing to make it happen on a phone. It's another thing to be with your church family and get to worship together and share together and just enjoy community. Speaking of community, we're talking about this Get Together series, Get It Together, uh, which is kind of a play on our current circumstance, isn't it? When we can't really get together in groups any bigger than a consistent 10, right? So this, this is something we talk about all the time. We're looking at the one another's of the New Testament. Now, what do we mean by one another? Steve mentioned last Sunday that it's, it's a reciprocal pronoun. Reciprocal. There's, there's a cycle to it. It's a back and forth. Anybody use a reciprocating saw, right? Maybe you call it a sawzaw. It goes back and forth, and back and forth. Do you remember the old black and white video footage before they had these big chainsaws of all these lumberjacks up in the woods, and they would use these big saws with these big wooden handles, and you'd have a man on one side and a man on the other, and when this man pushed, the other man would pull, and then vice versa. That man would push, and the other man would pull back and forth. You remember that, Ethel? Yeah. I've never tried one of those, but I've seen guys using it, and it takes a lot of teamwork, doesn't it? Back and forth, back and forth. It's this reciprocal pronoun. There's a back and forth community, relational, conversational nature to this whole one another concept. Here's the Greek word for it. Alone, I think is how you say it. Can you say it with me? I have the, uh, how you say it right here. How do you say this? Is that, remember, isn't this what John Travolta got in trouble for with that frozen thing? Al, say it with me. Are you ready? Al lay lone. Do it again a little faster. Al lay lone. One last time. You ready? Al lay lone. What does that sound like? All alone. Isn't that, I don't know if there's any real depth of meaning to that. I don't know if God intended for us to find that and maybe, but that is really seductive at times, isn't it? Just to be all alone. Isolation. And I know in this season, isolation is an aspect of caring for the more vulnerable. And this whole get-together series, maybe the best thing we can do for some people is just to give them space, keep them healthy. But being all alone, 
I was listening to a speaker and he said it's, it's seductive, seduction of isolation. It just sounds good sometimes, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but I have people close to me, as I'm sure you have people close to you, that there might feel like there's a little rift between you in this season, doesn't there? Like, you know, maybe somebody who you're really close to than the COVID conversation or the vaccine conversation or the government restriction, or maybe a totally different conversation has just polarized. And you're thinking maybe to get some space from that person is a little easier. Maybe you've even thought to yourself, if I could just get away from people, if I could just have a break from people, if I could just retreat to the cabin of the woods and just be alelone. But the first time God said something wasn't good, and Steve, you pointed this out in Genesis, right at the start, it's not good for man to be alone. And it doesn't take long to realize. Like at the start of the pandemic, maybe you thought like, hey, this is kind of cool. We just get to be at home, blah, blah. Well, that didn't last very long, did it? It's not good that man should be alone. We're, we're meant for one another. We're meant to have this reciprocal aspect, this reciprocal nature back and forth, conversation, relation, interaction, reaction. We're meant for that. We're built for that. It's not good that man should be alone. Alay alone. It comes from potentially these three Greek words. Not always, but sometimes, and maybe the emphasis is put on one of these second two words, but mainly these three words. Allos, meta, and pros. What does allos mean? Allos means another of the same kind. Another of the same kind. The same, but different. Human, but individual. It's true to say we're all the same. And on the other hand, it's true to say we're all different. We all have this sin issue. We all need the blood of Jesus Christ. We all need the hope of eternity. We all struggle through this life, but we have a Savior who died for all of us. We're all in the same boat, but we're all so different, aren't we? Just look at the person next to you and just say, you're different. And then turn back to them and say, well, you know what? You're different too. We kind of talked about that Christmas Eve, didn't we? We're all special. We're all unique. Just like a snowflake. You can call snowflakes all together snow. It makes up one thing. But each individual snowflake is different. You're different. Another of the same kind. Similarities and differences. Meta. This means physical proximity. Who's around you? Who's your neighbors? Who's your coworkers? Your classmates? Who's your family? Your friends? Who's your community? Who's the people around you? But it's not just physical proximity. It's proximity in action, in activity. It's like an apprentice. It's like a teammate. It's like Jesus and his disciples as they're going together, experiencing Jesus' teaching, his healing, the traveling, the camping. They're doing life together. Meta. Doing life together. That's our life group model. That's our church model, sharing the journey. It's all about the time we spend together. But it's not just that we're all the same, but yet we're all different. And we need to be in proximity with other people and experiencing life together. It's also prose. Prose is very similar to meta. It's this physical proximity, but it talks more about the direction. And the direction is towards, to 
one another, with one another, interacting and reacting with one another. We're growing together. You know what that means? We're growing deeper in conversation. We're going further in relationship. We're understanding more and more about one another. We're strengthening our trust and our respect for one another. So here it is, Allos. We're all different, but we're all the same. We all need Jesus, don't we? We're all human. Meta, physical proximity, doing life together. And as we know that we're all the same but different and we're doing life together, we grow together in relationship. That's one another, okay? So I'm trying to add a lot of flesh to this because we're talking about this for 12 weeks, this back and forth one another aspect. So today we're going to be in just two passages, and I mean that, just two passages. Well, we might jump to a third or maybe a fourth, but mainly just two passages. We're going to talk about the Apostle Paul, we're going to talk about the Apostle Peter. Paul gave this beautiful picture of the body. Peter gives a picture of clothing. The body and clothing. You know what's beautiful about that? We all have those things. That's so practical, so down to earth. You've got a body and you've got clothing. We're not in some like naturalist commune in Europe somewhere. We're not, you know, we all have a body we all have clothing. It's super practical, super relatable. We all have it. It's a beautiful illustration. So I'm just going to read it for you. I don't really need to talk into it. We're going to look at the key verse, but turn to 1 Corinthians 12, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm going to read a portion here, and then we're going to land at verse 25. We're not going to have the whole thing up on the screen. We're just going to dig into verse 25. But I want to start at verse 12 and just read this for you. It's so colorful, it's so animated. I love this illustration. I can't illustrate it any better than this. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one, and it has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. Allos. We're all the same, but yet at the same time, we're all different. We're all human, but we're all individual. One body many parts. So it is with Christ. Verse 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. There's Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. We're all different, but we're all united. We're all the same. 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong in this body, then would that make it any less part of the body? Well, no. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong in the body, That wouldn't make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, (laughs) that ridiculous Mike Wazowski or something like that, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Isn't that beautiful? Do you know God designed you? God created you? with your gray hair or crooked back or sore, you know? Actually, God created you perfect, and sin had some of those effects, I should clarify, but your uniqueness is a gift from God. And when it comes to the body, there are different members, different parts, different spiritual gifts, different genders, different ethnicities. There's a ton of diversity in the family of God. Heaven is going to be the most diverse place. I was going to say on earth, but it will be in heaven. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? 
Just think if the whole body was one part of the body. He gave the example of the ear. He gave the example of the eye. But think about it in its uh, symbolic sense. He's talking about the church as a body. What if the whole church was Keith Adams? What if the whole church were Josh Fillmore? What if, what if every Christian in Colchester County, let's say there's 10,000 Christians in Colchester County. It'd be kind of cool to know that number, wouldn't it? But let's say 10,000 Christians and they're all Josh Fillmore. <laughs> they dress like Josh, they look like Josh, they talk like Josh, they act like Josh, they're into whatever Josh is into. Let me tell you, that would be the most boring, predictable, go-to-bed-early, not spontaneous, not necessarily adventurous, like very... It wouldn't be good, would it? There'd be no diversity. The whole body is not one member. Verse 20, as it is, there are many parts that make up one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. You can't see. What can you do? You're just a hand. Nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. Just imagine what life would be like without feet. On the con- Feetless. Yeah, you'd be footloose. <laughs> Fancy free. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Verse 24 which our more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, God designed it, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. And then here's the verse that I want to look at, verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Now just... Two other verses. If one member suffers, Steve quoted a scripture very similar to this. I think his was from Ecclesiastes, maybe. Uh, No, I guess I'm thinking of chapter 3. There's a time to weep, a time to rejoice, a time for war, a time for planting, reaping. But verse 26 says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. We weep with those who weep. And if one member is honored, we all rejoice together. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Now you are the body of Christ and individually you're members of it. We're all part of the body. All right, let's dig into this. No division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. This term care is the Greek term marizo. You know what it means? Divided. So that there's no division in the body, each member should be divided. Paul, we're dividing. What should we do? Well, each of you should be divided. How does that make any sense? When I found that, I really had to sit and think. Marizo is a very similar term that this term division comes from. This term division is the Greek word schismo, schism, tear, rip, pull apart. So that you don't tear or rip or pull the body apart, each member should be divided. How does that work? Let's talk about a tear for a moment. Have you ever pulled anything in your body? I'm talking physically. Like, have you ever not warmed up or, you know, done your stretches or whatever? Like, none of us do on a consistent basis. And you bend over to pick up that box and then, ooh, you get that little 
little kink feeling in your back, you know, and then you're out for the week. You ever tear your MCL, your ACL? Okay, here's an embarrassing story, and I've told a couple people I was going to tell it. So I was out skiing with the youth group uh, from a previous church in New Brunswick, which is a bad combination when you're a young man, bunch of teens, and out doing a sport. You want to show off, right? Relive the glory days. So they're all coming down, and they're hitting this jump, and none of them are clearing it. And so I think to myself, you know what? I can do that. And then wouldn't you know it, one of them asked me, Pastor Josh, you should hit that jump. You know what, guys? I think I will. Go line up down there. I'll get a run on, and you'll, you'll see me coming down. So I tucked all the way down the hill. And I hit that jump, and there was this little icy kind of slushy section at the base of the jump, which caught me and, and threw me forward. So I tried to overcompensate by leaning the back, and then, then I hit the jump. You know what happens. I went through the air. I landed on my head. The skis went everywhere. It was a yard sale. It was a mess. And I tore something in my shoulder and had to do six weeks of physio because of that goofy little choice to try and show off in front of a bunch of teams. I, I'm sure you guys have been through injuries. You've pulled something. You've torn something. When there's a division in the body and something's torn, it's all you can think about. I kicked a chair in a church with flip-flops on one time, and my pinky toe pointed out to the side. It was brutal. And somebody told me, you can just pull it out, and then it'll pop back in. You'll feel the click. So I tried it out. Let me, it didn't work right. It's, it still doesn't work right. And it's all you can think about. It's just a pinky toe. Wouldn't the rest of the body say to the pinky toe, hey, we don't need you? You know what? You don't add a whole lot to the body. Let me tell you, if you don't have a working pinky toe, your balance is totally off. Everything's off. Your whole body's in pain. Schism in the body, a divide, a tear in the body. So how do you avoid a tear in the body by having the same divided division for one another? How does that work? Well, let's dig into this term of care. I told you it's the Greek term marizo, which means division. But it's not, it's not a focus on the division itself, the pulling apart, which schism is. This term division is a focus on the pulling, the tearing, when the, when the thread comes loose and you pull it and then your garment's ripped apart. Nobody calls it a garment, but you know what I'm talking about. That ripping, that pulling, whereas care divided is not a focus on the gap between the parts, but the parts themselves. Let, let me uh, read from A.T. Robertson. He says, drawn in opposite directions, divided into parts to go into pieces. Not necessarily the focus on being pulled apart like the force extended by sinful anxiety, and he has in parentheses, worry. Did you know there's a sinful anxiety and then there's an appropriate anxiety. You know, we talk about anxiety today like it's a really bad thing. And if you struggle with anxiety, you know, there are different ways that you can help that. It's part of the mental health conversation these days. And it can be a really serious thing. But each of us operates at a level of anxiety. And there's an appropriate level of anxiety. And then there's an inappropriate level of anxiety. And I'm not a psychologist. I don't want to get too deep into that stuff but it goes something like this. Appropriate anxiety is, hey, I care about you. Inappropriate anxiety is, I'm worried about you. See the difference? Uh, you can tell somebody, hey, you're on my mind. I'm thinking about you. You're in my thoughts. That's great, right? That, that's encouraging. Or you can tell somebody, 
you're all I can think about. I can't stop thinking about you. You're stuck in my head. Then that's creepy, right? And you might get reported by somebody for telling somebody that. You've got to be careful. There's an appropriate amount of anxiety and there's an inappropriate amount of anxiety. Anxiety is the pressure when things want to pull apart. Anxiety is simply pressure. Now, let me try and explain this. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. No, I'm kidding. Do you, do you remember those commercials? I don't know if I remember them or if I've just seen like recaps of them. I'm sure it was before my time, but this is your brain. When you're a kid, your mind's totally open. It's empty. You don't know nothing. You don't know what you don't know, right? When you're a kid. And then you get a baby sister. Maybe it should be a baby brother. It's blue, right? I guess it doesn't matter. You get a baby sibling. And your parents pull you aside and say, listen, Joshy, you got to be mindful of your baby sister. You can't jump on her. You can't put your Lego in her mouth. You have to think about your baby sister. And for the first time in your life, you learn to think about somebody other than yourself. And then you get in trouble. You do something you shouldn't have. Mommy and daddy pull you aside and they say, look, you've got to pay attention to mom and dad. You've got to listen when daddy talks to you. You've got to respond in obedience when mommy tells you what to do. You can't do that. You need to learn to obey. And you have your first lesson on obedience. And then you make a friend and you realize that your friend doesn't like to ride bikes as much as you do. They want to play baseball so you learn to compromise. Hey, I guess we'll have to do what you want to do and not necessarily what I want to do. And you learn to compromise for the first time. And then you get to school. And all of a sudden, you're in a classroom with 25 other kids. And you just start talking in the middle of class. And you realize really quick, the world doesn't revolve around you. It's not all about you. And the teacher scolds you and says, Josh, you got to learn to raise your hand because you're going to distract the other students. And we're all here to learn together. It's not just about you. And as life goes on, your brain becomes divided. Your mind becomes divided. Your heart becomes divided. Now, I, I know divided is a loaded term, so maybe I should say this. Portioned. Prioritized. Any parent, any friend, any employee, any classmate knows this without even thinking about it. I can't just think about myself. I need to allow space in my mind and my heart and my attitudes and emotions and my schedule and my budget for other people. It's not all about me. This, this is what the term care means. This is maybe an oversimplified example of what an appropriate amount of anxiety looks like. Each one of us have a number of names on our plate. Maybe it's your family, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your parents, some coworkers, classmates, friends, neighbors. Each one of us has a certain amount of people that we can appropriately care for, be anxious for, think about, have them come to mind, and then social media comes in and just blows the lid off it, doesn't it? How many friends you got on Facebook? Don't shout it out. Just get that number in your head. And then I want you to picture your brain divided into that many segments. I, I don't know how many people I have on Facebook, but if I divided it into however many hundred parts, 
there aren't enough hours in the day to think about all those people, to care for all those people, to keep all those people in mind. It's not possible, not in any sense of the word. But we have to live with this tension. How many people can you be mindful of? Because the reality is, life's not all about you. There are other people on your plate and on your mind. In order for the body not to divide, we need to be able to think about other people. We need to be able to care for other people. We need to give other people space in our mind, in our heart, in our emotions, in our schedule, in our time. That's an aspect of self-sacrifice, to care for other people. So Paul says, in order for the body not to pull apart, each part of the body needs to care for one another. Each part of the body needs to be mindful of one another. Each part of the body needs to think about other people. Each part of the body needs to care for, have other people on their heart, other people in their schedule. Let me give you just one really practical way. Because this doesn't come naturally to me at all. My brain is, is all me most of the time. That's, that's my natural bent. If, if somebody hit the reset button on me, Josh Fillmore would just be all through my system. When I wake up in the morning, what do I want for breakfast? What do I want to do for the day? Do I feel like exercising? Do I not? Do I feel like reading the Bible? Do I not? It's all about me, me, me. Unless I actively choose to think about somebody other than me. Having a wife and kids is a good reminder of that. Working with other people is a good reminder of that. Having friends, having neighbors, having classmates, it's all a good reminder of that. But it takes effort, doesn't it? Here's one practical way. We've been talking about this uh, journaling idea that ties in with the Get Together series. I have to tell you, it, it, I'm trying to make this a practice to write down other people in my journal, in my calendar, in my schedule. It even happened last night. I, I picked up my phone and there was a notification, pray for so-and-so. So I was able to text them because I never would have remembered that. I never would have thought about that situation again unless something prompted me, something reminded me. So there's a good practical way to be mindful of other people because life's not all about us. And ultimately, Jesus set this example for us, didn't he? I would be so frustrated as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know why? I'm a terrible backseat driver absolutely terrible. If we're going on a trip, I want to find the quickest way from point A to point B and get there in the most expedient amount of time possible. The least amount of bathroom stops, the least amount of coffee stops, fast food drive through let's just get to where we're going, right? Anybody with me there? You just like to get where you're going? And then there's other people. Um, I've got some awesome friends from New Brunswick that are like this. When they come to visit, they stop at every single place. It's worse than taking the bus. They would stop at every restaurant, use the bathroom at every little spot. It's, it's like an experience for them. Well, I think the disciples must have felt like that because when Jesus set his face to go towards Jerusalem, I don't know how many chapters are in between the chapter where it mentions that and where he actually gets to Jerusalem, but he takes the most roundabout trip teaching people, healing people, caring for people. They even go through Samaria, enemy territory, instead of traveling up around the Jordan. The disciples are like, where are we going? What are we doing? Jesus says, I've got somebody that I got to meet there. And then he bumps into the woman at the well in Samaria. He travels that whole distance through enemy territory with the risk of robbers and whatever, bandits, just to meet that one woman. 
That is not my style, but that's the example Jesus set for us. He even goes so far as to mention this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 to 16. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus did it in his flesh. Through his flesh, he broke down the wall. You know what that means? He gave everything. He cared about us so much that he gave himself. He gave him his whole self. Why could I not give space in my thoughts, in my emotions, in my schedule, in my budget, on my heart for other people? That's what Jesus did for me. So that's the body. Let's talk about the clothing. <laughs> We're out of time, so let's talk about the other half of the sermon. Okay, uh, clothing. You ever pack your suitcase for a trip? Maybe not in a long time. Here's, here's the dilemma. I'm going to fly on the plane. I'm going to connect through Newark or through Chicago, but then I'm going to arrive in Florida. And when I get to Florida, I just want, sh I just want shorts and a tank top or a t-shirt, right? Flip-flops. But what am I going to do getting off the plane and walking across the tarmac in Newark with the sun, with the, the snow blowing through? Like, how do I pack for that? It's, it's tough. What's, what's the type of clothing that's always appropriate to wear? Okay, let's talk about First Peter. It's like when you go camping, right? Or on an overnight hike. You can do one of two things. You can overpack and be super comfortable and have a good night's sleep and then have a terrible hike because it's so heavy. Or you can underpack and have a great hike, but when it comes time to sleep, oh, you know what I don't have? And it's a super uncomfortable sleepless night. It's hard to know what to pack. It's hard to know what to wear. It's hard to know what's necessary to take with you. Book of 1 Peter, we're going to dig into some passages here. 1 Peter, chapter 1 says it's to Christians who are exiled, who are sojourners, who are just passing through because they know that there is a hope of eternity, and that hope is in Christ. So they have their eyes set homeward, they're just passing through. So in light of that, because we're just tourists, because we're just visitors, because this isn't our home, we're aliens just passing through, and we have a citizenship and a home and a family in heaven, how can we make the most of this short little trip that we have as we pass through? How can we make the most of this journey, sharing this journey? Chapter 2. You need to act like visitors. You need to act like guests in a foreign land. It's not your space, so submit. Submit to the authorities, the human institutions, the government, honor the emperor. Servants, submit to your masters, just like Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. Chapter 3, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. You have this, this mutual submission, this, this reciprocal relationship where we're submitting to one another, we're caring for one another. Even suffering brings blessing, just as Jesus suffered for us. Chapter 4, suffering's part of the story. Life is hard because of sin, but God's grace flows into that space. Chapter 5, this is what I want to talk about. Uh, Peter gets into talking to leaders. And he says, leaders, don't take advantage of your leadership. Don't take advantage of your position. Don't demand more money. Don't be a dictator just slamming people on the head with your rules and regulations. Instead, be an example, as Christ was an example. And in particular, 
Be example in humility. Now, if we're only here for a short time, we need to be examples of Jesus. We need to be really mindful of our testimony to the people that we're only going to be with for a short period of time. And you know what people see first? They see the outer appearance, right? And as wrong as it is to judge a book by its cover, a book usually says, the cover usually says a lot about the book, doesn't it? And how we present ourselves is important as Christians. We cannot say, I don't care what people think of me. Because ultimately that means you don't care what people think of Jesus because you're to be an imitator of Christ. We need to care about our testimony. We need to take care of our testimony. So Peter likens this to clothing. Be careful what you wear. Now, my uncle told this story. He was on this Caribbean cruise, and he's with his friend. I think his friend's name is Ralph. And Ralph kept getting off the boat, and he wore a shirt with a big logo and writing on the front. I'm going to say it was something like Tommy Hilfiger. It was some sort of name, some sort of brand. Everywhere he got off the boat, all the locals would be lined up with their trinkets, with their souvenirs, trying to sell them. And they would see his shirt and they would yell, Hey, Tommy, come get this. Hey, Tommy, I've got a good deal for you. Hey, Tommy, come check out what I have here. People recognized him by his shirt, identified him by his shirt, called him by his shirt. And he learned really quick, I'm not going to wear this shirt when we get off the boat. I think he only did it once and then got rid of it. What you wear is important. 1 Peter 5.5. 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you. Now, I should have looked into this. Now that I'm reading it, I don't know if that means like your whole body or if it means everybody in the body. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We've heard that before, haven't we? So we talked about humility in the Be a Good Human campaign. Clothing yourselves with humility. That idea of clothing is so practical. It's something we do every day, day after day. And we've got to clean the clothes, and we've got to fold the clothes, and we've got to pick the clothes, and we've got to put the clothes on, then we've got to clean the clothes, fold the clothes. It's, it's round and round. Humility isn't something that we access when we fall in love with Jesus and we make him the Lord of our lives and then all of a sudden, boom, I'm just a humble person from this point on. It's something that we consistently need to care for. How we are presenting Christ humbly in humility. It's so easy to get prideful. It's so easy to say, hey, you know what? I'm the hand and I do all the writing. I do all the typing. I do all the business deals. I do all the handshakes. I'm pretty important, right? Then there's that foot down there. Who needs that foot, right? I bet he wished he could be a hand. And you get this idea that you're important than other people. It just happens naturally. It happens so naturally. Humility. It's two Greek words meaning humiliation of mind. It's in your mind. We've been talking about the mind. How do you choose to be humble in your mind? And how does that act out in how people perceive you? Are you humble in your own mind? Not this... It's not this, this false humility that says, oh, woe is me, I can't do anything. But instead, I can do it because it's not about me. It's all about Christ. The ultimate understanding for the believer is not comparing yourselves to others, but comparing yourself to the Lord. How do you measure up to God? Well, the Bible says that none of us measures up. We've all fallen short. 
And we need to have this true understanding of humility in light of who God is and who we are. Verse 6 says this, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. I've talked about that before and said it's not this hand of oppression because the rest of the verse says that at the proper time, he may exalt you. He may lift you up. And 1 Peter has this huge theme of this life is difficult. It's really hard to go through and submit to the government and submit to your employer and submit to your spouse and submit, submit, submit. But we always have this focus on the glory that is to come. This is not our home. We're just traveling through. So let's make the most of it by practicing humility. And then all this is tied up in this one verse. Final verse that we're going to look at today. And then it looks like my computer is going to die and, and we'll be dead. Uh, sorry, we'll be done, I meant to say. <laughs> Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Is that not a beautiful verse? 1 Peter 5, 7. Let's just memorize that this week. Let's just repeat it to ourselves. Let's write it down daily. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Isn't that beautiful? We've been talking about care and anxiety and how we have so many people on our plate. It's hard to hold it all together. It's hard to juggle it all. We just need to sit down and realize that he's sustaining the whole thing. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You know what that means? It means throw it. And part of throwing is releasing, right? Cast your anxieties on him. Don't, don't hand them over, see how he does, and then pull them back like somebody who finds delegation really tough. Just throw it to him. Give it to him. Sit down. Rest. Because he cares for you. Jesus did both of these things that we've talked about today. He cared enough to humble himself. Look at Philippians chapter 2, beautiful passage. Taking the form of a servant, he humbled himself even to the point of death. He went all the way for us. You are called to care for one another. There's this immense pressure in trying to simultaneously hold all of those parts, all of those pieces, and so often we just let it drop. But the practice of clothing ourselves in humility helps us to be constantly conscious of the fact that he is holding you. He cares for you. You care because he cares for you. We get to love because God first loved us. You can live out humility because it's all about him. It's not about you. It's not about me. That's a tough sermon, isn't it? Think about other people because it's not all about you. That's tough. Care for one another. Close yourselves in humility toward one another. I think we need to close there. Father God, I just want to thank you for who you are today. Thank you for the opportunity to open your word. Thank you for Paul, for Peter, for the beautiful pictures that they painted for us of the body and of clothing. God, help us to care for the body. Not just our physical, spiritual, emotional, mental body, but God, help us to pray for the church body. Help us to pray for your body. Help us to pray that as we get to be your hands and feet in this community, that the first thing people would see when they look at us is not designer-named clothing or some sort of false presentation of how great we are, but that we would show how great you are. I think about those incredible testimonies of people who felt so worthless, so at the end of their rope, like they couldn't do anything, they couldn't juggle it anymore, and then they just realized that you are so big and so mighty and so powerful. And their testimony is this beautiful one of that when they are weak, 
you are strong. And this picture of humility, that it's not through them, but it's all about you. God, help us to paint that picture for our communities. Help us to be mindful of the people around us, that our thought process, our heart, our emotions, it wouldn't be all about us, but it would be about the people around us, our friends, our family, our church family, our coworkers, our classmates, our community. God, help us to extend your love to the world in humility. Thank you that you humbled yourself to the form of a servant. Thank you that you humbled yourself even to death on a cross and you died in our place. Jesus, we thank you for that message this morning. Help us to care for one another. Help us to clothe ourselves in humility toward one another, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.